and yes, absolutely. Which he is—he's Swedish, and what is amazing about it is he lost English as due to the stroke, but he still speaks Swedish. But luckily, his wife speaks Swedish too. So, yeah. So it's just isn't that isn't that odd? It just shows the complexities of our mind, and it's just that's just so bizarre. But we need to pray for him this morning and. Yes. Yes. That's true. Mm-hmm. Wow. So. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, let's let's join with this family in praying. Yes, Jennifer. Yes, we will. I will. Um, we need to pray for the Gossett family, as most of us know. Um, they lost um, a, their two-year-old grandson. So we need to we need to pray for them today and that family as they are going through the grieving process. Yes. Yes. Let's pray for them. Let's go. Yes, John. Okay. Let's pray. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now as we open up. Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, that you know every need, that you hear every heart, Lord God, that you, God, are touched with the feelings of our infirmities, Lord God. And I just pray right now that your Holy Spirit would descend in this room. Welcome the Holy Spirit, y'all. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would descend in this room, that you would bring revelation knowledge, that you would bring peace, God, that you would bring clarity in every aspect of our lives, Lord. We pray, Father, that you would meet every need that was mentioned for comfort, for peace, Lord God, protection, for healing, Lord. We know that you are. God, the the most high God, and that you hear and answer prayer, and we thank you for it, Lord God. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand this morning, Lord God, knowing, Lord God, that in due time you will exalt us, Lord God. We cast all of our cares on you, for you care for us, Lord God. We thank you today in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are going to continue. Now, I have to, in in the spirit of full disclosure, where's Andy? Andy will be teaching next week. You can still come. And he's going to be teaching for, you know, we talked about the whole month of May, but you're going to get cheated a week because Mother's Day is in there, and we don't have life class, so you're going to extend to the first week of June. So that's, he has five weeks. So he's going to tell us everything he knows in five weeks. The remainder of the time, he's just going to be making up stuff. So, <laughs> that's right. So we're gonna we're gonna be looking forward to that this morning. I'm going to uh, the last. It's been it's been a couple of weeks since I've been here, so I can't start back over on this lesson from the get go. But we'll just we'll just hit it and we'll move on. But. The last time we were in here, if y'all remember, we talked about the unseen realm and the supernatural worldview and how the Bible unpacks the, the, there's a narrative in scripture. Theologians call it the meta-narrative. How many of y'all have noticed Facebook changed their name? Y'all didn't even know? Where are y'all at in the world, guys? Come on. Facebook, I don't have Facebook myself. But Facebook changed their name. I kept noticing because, I, you know, the Lord told me to get rid of my social media. And you know how I do. I just, I took it, all the apps off my phone. <laughs> you, none of y'all are like me. I know y'all are. That's why the Lord has me teaching so I can learn this way. So I deleted my um, Facebook app off my phone. But how many of you know you can still go to Facebook? Yeah, you know, you can just log in and just log in. You just don't have the access of an app. So, And then the Lord's like, finally, he's like, you know, I thought I told you to kind of get rid of that. Because it honestly, during the whole pandemic and thing and all the things, Facebook was causing me a great deal of anxiety. It just really was, just constantly hearing and seeing. And I really believe that during this season that we're living in, there's just been a a release of fear in our land. And that we have, we're going to talk about this sometime in the future, we have the ability, we have a capacity, every single one of us are capacitors as it were. 
Like all of you can see yourself as a battery, right? You understand how a battery works, right? A battery has a potential of power. It can't actually, if you touch a battery, you're not getting shocked, right? Unless, you know, you're saying, I'm sticking an eight volt to my tongue, and you might get a little zap. But you, but we all have a potential in our lives. And we, as a battery, what we're full of, when we're plugged into a situation, that's what we release. And so we have, we can be so, how many of you have ever just had your life so charged with fear? Everywhere you went, you saw fear. You know, you're probably not going to admit that. But you're liars. Because you can be programmed, I, I like, all your kids are programmers just about, right? I mean, you got, I mean, they're just like programmers in the blood. Whatever you're programmed to do, you run. That's your code, right? So you can put a, you can be running a fear code in your life. And that program's just running. Maybe that's a better way to say it. And so anyway, the Lord told me to get rid of Facebook because I just started noticing I was kind of running an anxiety and fear code in my life. And so, I mean, a lot of people do that, but then they're not necessarily out to make any changes. They just start finding themselves marching to the commands of fear. Not a good place to be. And so I started, but this is why I said all this to say this. I started looking, when you log on to Facebook, it says Meta, M-E-T-A, Meta, Meta. I was like, what is that? So I began to search into that. Well, of course, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, they changed the name of Facebook from, it's no longer Facebook, it's called Meta, because he's getting to inter introduce his metaverse. The word meta, y'all can look into that, virtual reality. That's what we need is virtual reality. We can just create the world we want. It, it's just so amazing how the spirit of this age is so wanting to mimic the things of God. Meta means together. It's Greek. And so when I say that, the scripture has a meta-narrative, a together narrative. We so many times look at Scripture and we sort of use it as a magic eight ball. How many of you have ever used, had a magic eight ball? You know, you have the ball has all the potential settings on it and you, you say, you ask it a question and you shake it and it says, I don't even know, what are some of the things it says? Yes. Maybe later. What? You know, has all these different things. So many times, because we don't have a, a rooted understanding of the Word of God, we tend to approach Scripture like a magic eight ball. Let me show you. Lord, what do I do? Sing, barren one who has not given birth. Burst forth into singing and shout, you have not travailed. For more of the children than the desolate than the children of the married ones, says Adonai. If I don't have... Any congruency of understanding Scripture, I can turn the, I can say anything. I can say, I can, I'm 50 years old. I go to Mike and say, guess what, Mike? I, I just, the Lord, I consulted the magic eight ball. and says, I'm supposed to have children today. You see what I'm saying? We can't use. So scripture as a whole has, a, has a, a theme that runs through it. Oh, man, it's congruent. But not only is it congruent, it has an overall message that communicates to us. And here is just a fact that's a fact that's a fact that's a fact. No matter what you read, whatever translation you read, you're reading a translation. And when you read a translation, now, I know maybe you're a King James only person. Lord bless you. I just bless you in that. But I will say this. The, every translation is a translation, and you cannot help but run it through the translator's mind. And what is in their belief? You can't help it. You can't. It just happens. So 
When we're looking at a King James translation, per instance, 1612, I mean, none of you King James only people are reading the 1612 edition. Go look it up and try. You won't understand a word. It's not just that. It's, it's, it's old English. It's like a whole nother language. And so we, we look at that, and it's 1612. It's set within its worldview, right? So they had this group of translators translating it, and they were translating it from their vantage point, what they believed. Catholicism and Protestantism, war was raging around it. The Reformation was just taking hard hold in the culture around it. The work of Martin Luther and all that he had done. They're just now trying to get the Bible translated. All these things are building. There's this, uh, but then there's, there's, there's predestination so much involved in Martin Luther's Reformation. And when the translators are translating that, you, they can't help but create their own bent in the Scripture. So I know what you're saying now. What the heck? What do we do? What do you do? Well, you need to be a person who knows how to rightly divide the word of truth which means you need to understand the overall narrative of the Scripture or you will always be a victim of your own personal doctrine, beliefs, and worldview. And you will subjugate the Scriptures to your little bitty thinking. It's me too. I'm not calling you all small-minded. I'm just saying... That's the way it is. And then, at best case scenario, we become so dogmatic and religious in our approach to Scripture that we will intellectually stomp anybody who has a varying view. Or, at very worst, we run into the darkness of ignorance on our own. I didn't say stupidity. I said ignorance. And we use Scripture much like a person uses a horoscope. That's not, beloved, I believe for better things for you. Absolutely. And what does that mean? Okay, so we have Genesis. We have Genesis. We have to allow Exodus to interpret Genesis and Genesis to interpret Exodus. So they weave together. The whole theme is woven together. Now, as we looked last week, I said all that for this, that we looked, Genesis 1 through 11 is, I mean, it's how, this is how the Lord's moving in Genesis 1 through 11. Like that. Like he's taking huge steps and just, I mean, right? The Lord created the heavens and the earth, and then we have a flood, and then we have Tower of Babel. And those are big, giant steps. Do you all not see that when you look at Scripture? It's gigantic steps over man. So when a person, an author, a speaker, when they are taking long swath strokes in a canvas, what are they creating? That's it. Background. That's all they're doing. And we don't, we're, it's what's, but what does background tell us? There's going to be a foreground. There's, yeah, there's going to be a foreground. It's not just a background. So we look at this and we see the background. Genesis 1 through 11 is the background. I mean, how many of y'all been, ever watched Bob Ross? I mean, I see me, I'm so good, I can paint with my left hand or my right. There are people who do that super weird, by the way, at the same time. Now, as I look at this, then I see what's the background? Well, we see the fall of man. Well, creation, the fall of man. But then we move into the area that I call the proliferation of evil. The Genesis 6, I won't go to it. So now we've got another issue that come along. We'll just call it an issue. It's a big one, y'all. 
a big issue. And then from there, but see, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful. Enough said. I'm just going to stop right there on that. And then that tells us why the earth became so corrupt that God repented that he had made man. See, it's, it's just moving us. It's giving us logical next steps. And, and then he spoke to Noah and he built an ark. But we're seeing all along the very amazing character of God that he is so cre- committed to his creation and the human agency that he rescued them with an ark of safety. Hmm, we might see this again later. And what did Jochebed what did she weave for her little baby boy, Moses? She weaved an ark. Oh, and then what do we see God sending his son to do with two pieces of timber and three nails? He built an ark. See, you we never saw it that way. No, see, what, what you, that's how you look at the, the Scripture. I can look at it from this viewpoint of the cross, and I go, and then I can turn around, and I can look from this viewpoint. The Word of God is the most amazing book on the planet, on the planet. It's God's very Word to His people. But that's just a tiny, that's just a, that's a flick of one. But then we move, we go, creation, fall of man, the ark, the flood, the earth is receded. If you compare when Noah gets off the boat to Genesis' account of creation, they're almost identical. What God's, what's he signaling to you? What's he signaling to you? This is secondary creation in type. It's a, it's a receding the earth. It's start, reboot, control, alt, delete. Let's kick this thing off again. But, oh, God, why? Why didn't you just wipe mankind off of the face of the earth? Because they're imagers. They have a status. And they are supposed to, this earth is created by God. And he loaded it, lock, stock, full of potential. Name me some of the potential in the earth that was there all along. Just start naming me potential. Oil, petroleum, natural gas, diamonds, air, copper, gold, silver, coal, pearls, rubies, emeralds, marble, granite. Those are in the earth. Electricity. Wave. Wave theory and understanding of how things move and sound way. <clears throat> now, did man create these? He impregnated this place we call earth with all of that potential. And then he said, I need potential miners. I need people who can discover and uncover this potential. See, all that is included in the have authority and subdue the earth. But then, so God takes all the potential of the planet, right? He has, he is in the unseen spiritual realm. And who's there with him? Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's one. The Godhead is one. The Shema. Behold, our Lord God is one. Now, that revelation doesn't completely come to fruition throughout until we get into the New Testament of understanding where we have Jesus in the Jordan and what's happening. We've got the Son of God, the incarnation, Jesus Christ, God of God and man of man, being dipped into a natural river on earth and the heavens opening and the Holy Spirit descending in the form of a dove and the voice of the Father speaking. And we see that hypostatic union of the Trinity. 
mutual indwelling, never incongruent with one another. I mean, the, Jesus doesn't have a secret from the Father, and the Father doesn't have a secret from Jesus or the Holy Spirit. They are completely one, one entirely in function and in, and in, in, in mission and in the Godhead. The Godhead, this is so hard to explain, isn't it? But they are individual. They do, but they do all in, in you. I mean, where was God when Jesus was crucified? It says, the scriptures tell us that the Father, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. See, we've created this, we've created with our own mentality, this distant God, this cool Jesus, and this pansy Holy Spirit. Why would you say pansy Holy Spirit? Because we think he can be relegated anywhere we want to. We can disallow him or allow him. I don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh, shh. Shh. You're moving dangerously close to what the Bible calls blaspheming. What do you mean? Oh, some of you want me to touch that. Because some people in here, you're afraid you already have. Because lie 101 from the devil. You heard somewhere in your religious upbringing, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you're damned to hell. It's true, but you don't even understand what it means. Because you said a curse word or something. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is continually, continually resisting the one who's drawing you. So when you're in a service and your heart's racing, you know what I'm talking about. Like a wild cat is lost under your shirt somewhere, and you're like, and you got sweat beating up right here, and it's like your ears start ringing. Y'all, you know what I'm talking about when you get that super, I mean, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And your hands are sweating, and you're clenching the pew, and you're like, and your breath starts coming in those slight little, how many, how many when you got saved, that's how it was? I was 11, and I thought I was like, but that wasn't the first time I'd been convicted. The third time I was convicted, I got saved. The first time I was convicted, I was making a bed with my best friend, her mom and dad's king-size bed. And I was on one side, and that was her chore. And we had, we had the top sheet, and we had sprung it out, and we tucked it in. And she said, and we were talking about religion and church or whatever. I don't even know. She was three years older than me. And she said, but I asked Jesus to come into my heart, so now I know that I'm going to heaven. She said those three words to me. And it was like a knife pierced me so much so she stopped and looked at me and she said have you asked Jesus to come into your heart and I was like it was like all of a sudden it was like I was in this dizzy place if you know what I'm talking about like all of a sudden the world just started spinning out super dizzy and my I got I got so discombobulated in that moment just for that long and I went ah, no yeah totally I know exactly what you mean but I, I, I didn't what did I do right there I resisted the Holy Spirit Second time, same family. I went to church with them at Lighthouse Assembly of God in Bowie, Texas, where we ultimately became youth pastors. Isn't that funny? I'm 10. I'm not listening to service. I don't understand anything they're saying, doing, you know. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I'm 10. I'm writing on the offering envelopes. I'm being disruptive. I'm doing what 10-year-olds do in church. But when the altar called, it's time to stand. I'm like, thank God I'm hungry. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Stood up. And I went. And the, and the preacher said, if anybody, you need the Lord right now. I feel like there's somebody here that needs the Lord. Here I was. Heart. I'm dizzy. Dizzy. Like, like there's something. I mean, I'm like, oh, my ears are ringing. My mouth is going dry. I'm just about to flip out. I'm like, no, I've never been in this church in my life. I'm not walking down there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not. I won't do it. Shut up, God. I didn't say that, but that's what I said. I resisted. I resisted. But God is so merciful. And then I got invited to vacation Bible school. 
Here I am. The pastor's standing up there. Is anyone? And here it is again. I do my best to blaspheme it all the way. You know what I mean? I was doing my best to deny the Holy That's the Holy Spirit. He's, he's inviting, Andrea, come on. I've got the world for you. I've got something for you. Come. It's not automatic, guys. It's not automatic. He died for the whole world, but the whole world won't get saved because they have to interact with the Holy Spirit. And here I am. Oh, God, if just one more, if just one more person comes down. And I thought I had him tricked. I ain't tricked. Because I already knew everybody had already gone down but me. Had him tricked. Got him. I underestimated the Holy Spirit. He's not a pansy. This one boy had to have a caretaker with him because he was special needs. He started throwing a fit, wanting to go down. And I knew the Lord, Holy Spirit said, checkmate. And I did. I changed my course. What was the course I was on? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And I switched. And I turned off blasphemy. And I turned on acceptance and surrender. And I walked down. So I say all of that to say this. If the Lord is still, if you still sit in the service and you still feel. (sighs) But you know what the sad part is? People have sat like this and then they've sat in church. There's people who have sat in church, guys. Their whole life. And they never responded. Because that the urgency from a child, oh, it's so easy for children to get saved. Because they're easily incapacitated. But adults, I'm saddened when Mike gives an altar call, or I, or anyone, said God's dealing with the soul. <clears throat> They don't come down. Because you don't get to get saved on your own dime. You don't get to just pop it out there when you want to, guys. The Bible says that no man comes to the Father unless, unless the Holy Spirit draws him. If he's drawing you, then don't blaspheme him. Don't blaspheme him with your denial. Because what happens over time, can I just tell you, do y'all want to know? What happens over time, the draw. gets less. And less. And less. And less. Do what? And here we find ourselves this morning sunk deeply into the meta-narrative of Scripture, the together narrative of Scripture, of a God who's so committed to this planet, but not the planet. He's not a tree hugger, but he loves those trees, y'all. They weren't, yeah, they're going to clap their hands. I walk, I do a five-mile walk. Y'all should all be impressed by that. I'm I'm just trying to impress you somehow. Because my feet are impressed by it, I'll tell you, because they hurt. That when I walk, I look up, especially this time of year when the leaves are coming in. And all the cottonwoods especially, they're roar. And I say, oh, listen to the trees clap their hands. 
And if the trees will praise you, then I will praise you. Because that's the only voice a tree has. And when the wind blows, what's the wind likened to? Come on. The Spirit of God. And when the wind blows, the trees respond. And when the wind blows, the trees respond. There's no blasphemy in the trees. They don't, they're not free will. But you, he made you an imager. And imagers have to have free will because you can't be like God and not choose to worship him. You, he wants to you choose relationship. And when the wind blows, what do you do? Oh, come on, I worship. Hallelujah. When the wind blows, I'm just like a tree. I say I'm going to respond to the moving of the Spirit because the Spirit of God is the, is the breath that fills my lungs, is the animating force of my life. My life is not my own. I have been bought with a price. Therefore, I glorify God. It's just who I am. I'm a Numa man. I'm a wind being, Tommy. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. This is not a doctrine issue. Sliced and diced and shredded in the on the marble floors of academia to carve out Baptists and Methodists and Pentecostals and Presbyterians, whatever, Episcopalians. Oh, I can't find any of those words in here except for Pentecostals. (laughs) Sorry, it was an easy one. I had to go for it. Had to go for it. Sorry, That that was a low blow. I admit, I admit that was a low blow. What are you going to do? Oh, that's right. Sorry. I got, yeah. I started out of Baptist and upgraded to it. Jesus got baptized and he told him to go to the upper room. It's the same thing I did. Just kidding. Just kidding. That was totally, that was just Andrea joking. Yeah, okay. So, but here, here's the point, guys. Here's the point. God has chosen human agency to bring about his mission on this planet. He has. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's it. He has his, he has the heavenly host, which are who? The angelic realm. He operates using them, and guess what the angelic realm are? Free will beings created by God. Humans are free will beings created by God. And we see what the beautiful thing is, is if you see, can start to see this narrative beginning to emerge, and you have Genesis 1, 2, 3, you got 8, you got the flood, you got 9, we're setting in 10, setting up the table of nations, 11 is Babel, and then bam. When I say Genesis 12, you should say, oh, bring us Abram. Because God, what he's done here, because he's so committed to the human agency to rule this planet, right? What he does at Babel, he has worked with man and 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 worked with man. He's still working with man today. That's part of the Holy Spirit. He's, but he's, he's introducing him and he's bringing himself. And God is like, i got to get into this planet with them. I made the planet. I made them. And they've, they've routed me out through their stubbornness and their iniquity. And their ignorance of divine things. Ignorance of divine things. I've just given you a biblical definition of darkness. Ignorance of divine things, darkness. Now you say, no, I thought darkness was immorality. Ignorance of divine things always leads to immorality. But let's not try. See, what happens with us here, religion comes in and goes, oh, we got to deal with immorality. Then we just make moralists. We don't make children of God. <sighs> You're like, what, you think we not need to be moral? I, I be, uh, yeah, but I, I believe there's a better way to obtain a morality than trying to teach religious programs of morality. Because those haven't worked as far as I can tell. So what we do here, 
We see God's committed to the human agency. So what happens at Babel? He sets the nations aside. He creates division and sets the nations aside. We went, that's what we talked about last time. You can see that. Read Psalm 82. Read Deuteronomy 32, 7 and 8. He set the nations aside. Interesting note on Deuteronomy. It'll say, I don't have time. Can't do it. He set the nations aside. But then what did he do? He, he, they're in his purview. Did he leave them? Did he hate them? No. According to Scripture, he set other divine beings over them. Not other. other it says gods, but G-O-Ds. Right? So, so this is where we're getting Daniel when you talk about the prince of Persia. But see, those princes, they didn't stay. See, because what are angels? Choosing beings. And we have Psalm 82 as the chastisement of those other divine beings with regard to their handling of the nations. It ends by saying you will die like mere mortals. I mean, he's not talking to men there, is he? Because how do men die? Men are mortals. We don't need to make the distinction. So, and we look at that. But now we've got, we've got Abram. God said, I'm just going to make a new man. He's ultimately going to be a Numa man. Because his goals, his goals, his goals, his goals. He's committed to the human agency. So he raises up Abram, and he turns him into, he turns him into Abraham. He, he brings about a promised child. There's so much in there. And he brings him forth, and he, that man becomes a, a family, and that family becomes a tribe, and that tribe becomes a nation. It's just a nation God sees as one man. He sees him as a man. But that nation is only, only what that nation is, I don't say only. I say only, but I say only. It's, it's he is a, the nation is a womb. See, all creation was a womb to bring forth imagers, but it just couldn't. So God, we think that God is mad. If he didn't want to use us, he could have destroyed us many times long ago. Here, he makes a man, and that man, Israel, becomes a nation, a tribe, and he brings forth the Son. And now we have the human agent. The last Adam. The progenitor of another race. You're not just asking Jesus to come into your heart so you don't have to go to hell when you die. That wouldn't save you any more than fire insurance keeps your house from burning. No. The Lord wants to birth children on this earth. Not mammon-obsessed autonomous individuals who are so self-centric and poised to pursue their own darkened visions of themselves. I say mammon system, what am I saying? What is mammon? If I say mammon, what do you say? Money. All money is, is an economy of exchange. That's all it is. In Jesus' day, it had a certain mammon, was a certain economy of exchange. We could this morning, if somebody somehow could do it, they could make gravel valuable. And we wouldn't, we wouldn't find a piece of gravel on any road in the world. Is that not true? We know that's true. Can I prove it to you? Bitcoin. <laughs> it doesn't even exist, but it's got, it's today I checked, yesterday I checked, it's worth $40,000 per Bitcoin. So that's how it, it's, a, it's a system of exchange. It's, it's also a way to get your needs met. Yeah. It's a way to get your needs met outside of God. It is. I mean, we don't say that all money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil, right? We all understand we need money, but here's the reality. If mammon is a system of exchange, what we've created in church, unfortunately, is a mammon system. But its currency is religious performance. 
the mammon system in the church is the currency is religious performance. So what does that mean, Andrea? It means this. If I do this, I get that. If I do this, I get that. What's the this? Give me some thises. Be moral. Don't lie. Give me some more. Knock on doors. Go to church. Speak those things as not as though they were. What else? Give me another mammon system. Pay your tithe. Come to church when the doors are open. Now you're saying, Andrea, serve. You're saying, Andrea, are you not wanting us to do those things? No, 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 no. I don't want you to serve a religious system expecting to receive something from God because in that religious system, all you still got is self trying to control God. You're like, wait a minute, Andrew, you don't want us to do those things? I do, but I want the impetus. I want the impetus to be the relationship with the Father and it be as natural to you as breathing. That when the breeze blows, see, that's how it is. We're like, oh, tithing's not in the New Testament. Okay, fine. I would love to just take tithing out of the New Testament for people, but I can't get them even in the scriptures enough to have them find out what is in there. Liberality of giving. <sighs> What did that do to 10%? Give it all. Uh, I mean, this, I could do this if I wasn't so old and decrepit. Wish I could have somebody young do it. Shelby could do it for me. Huh? What? You got me? No, you can't do this, Andy. You're old and decrepit as me. I want you, Shelby. I'm going to make her do it. No, I'm not either. She'll die. No. You know, from your softball days, I just had this image of when the offering plate's running around. You know what I mean? Instead of us trying to avoid it, going after it like you are home plate, when you're still in home plate. How do you go after that? I wanted to slide right then. You know what I mean? I wanted to just go in and just come in on a slide. I wanted to do it on my knees like a guitar player is what I had vision, but I thought, <laughs> don't. See, wisdom jumped up and said, eh. You know what I'm talking about? Like the guitar player, they jump and they slide to the end of the stage. See, that is what the tithing system has been transformed into. Eagerness. Yeah, I'm not giving to get. I'm giving because I got. I'm giving because of who I am. I'm giving because I honor him and all the first fruits of my income. I acknowledge whose I am, how I am, where I am, what I am. I say, God, I am a child. I'm a Numa man. As my uncle used to say, we have to teach tithing because there's nobody spiritual enough to actually give. He's a good Bible teacher. Mm -hmm. <laughs> good point, Deborah. 33%. That's a third. I'm good at math like that. Don't ask me anymore. That's as high as I go. <laughs> So there, there's that. Oh, give, sell everything you have and give to the poor. But a, a desire to give is always an evidence that you really got what you got. Look at Zacchaeus. He got what he got, and what did he do? Lord, if I were on him, I'll give him back. How much fold did he say? I don't even remember. Seven, five, three. He gave more back than he stole. I don't know. Y'all can look that up. That's your homework. God has always chosen the human agency to accomplish his will on the planet. He hadn't stopped. He won't stop with that. You know why he won't stop? Why won't he stop? Give me, some, give me a theological reason God has chosen the human agency for this planet and he will not change course. Mike, give me a theological He scares, this scares me to death when I do this. Okay, never mind. You're off the hook. Okay, that's good. Not what I wanted. He's like, look at Mike. 
He just turned into Kalijah back there. <laughs> Y'all are so smart, but too smart for me. I'm just real simple on this. Why? If God chose human agency to rule this planet, Malachi says it best. I am God and I change not. That ought to do it right there. You know what I mean? Sin did not change God. Change man. We got to agree. But he's given us his son, who is the end of all of the agree, all disputes, all disputes are his son. So, what? But see, he settled it. But that's not a that's not a secondary ruling that's going on over here between God and His Son. And I just go out here and live like I want to, and not actually. See, I'm still in the Mammon system. I got to actually step in that. Oh, I got where do I got to get? You got to get in Christ. Oh. oh, thank you, Lord. The Holy Spirit drew me, and I got in Christ. Now I don't serve by the letter of the law. I go, Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're not going to listen to the Holy Spirit to get saved, you're not going to listen to him to walk right, talk right. You're not going to listen to him in your giving. See, what you've done, though, is you exchange the religious system of do's and don'ts that are not even in Christ. And you've tried to perform your way into manipulating God. It's not working. It's not working. I believe the word of faith revelation was the greatest revelation, and it came in the 70s and the 80s. A great, 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 great revelation of how the church began to operate. But with all things, it, has its, it had its downside, right? And what we see is what happened. See, the Lord's corrected me on all this. Just the other day, this is how the Lord corrects me, by the way. I just want to give you, an. In, I, I hope you all are in the seat of correction. You can't get in his word and not be in the seat of correction. I'm sitting on the couch. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I get up every morning and I listen to my soak stream. Listen to the Word of God. And then, that's just, I do that for 30 minutes at least. And then I go to prayer and my reading. And the Lord spoke to me and He said, I mean, now this is God. He said, are you sure the priest didn't transcend the veil? What? Wait, well, yeah. And what I'm talking about is I, I believe that, you know, I've always taught that the priest crawled under the veil. You know what I mean? And other people have taught that he actually miraculously transcended the veil, walked through the veil. And the Lord just asked me that question, Becky. He said, are you sure that the priest didn't transcend the veil? And I went, well, Lord, I, I, I mean, why? Now, how do I know this is God? Yeah, how do I know this is God? Why does that just pop in my head at 5 o'clock in the morning? So I said, well, Lord, I said, I start arguing because he knows me. I've given him my case. I said, you know, there's the poles are out and there's, it creates a natural gap and it just makes sense to me that the priest went under because that's humility. That shows that humility and that fits in with the biblical text. So I'm, I'm trying to convince the Lord. You know what he spoke to me next? Has changed my life. He said, so can we say, he knows how to talk to me. He said, so can we say that through humility, the priest transcended the veil? Regardless if there was any hooky-dooky going on. It was See, and so the Lord is then beginning to talk to me about humility. Some of you are like, Andrea, you need that. And so I'll come back after Andy's finished. I'm going to teach humility. The Lord's been giving me revelation on humility. I'm like, God, that is so good. And I'm like, Lord, I'm transcending in humility. I'm He's teaching me how to humble myself under the mighty hand of God and what that means. He's teaching, and it's great. So he's, he's, he's using the human agency, and that's what it means to be in the world, but not of the world, and be in Christ, and be his, his hands and his feet extended to this world. And we must know our enemy and know our assignment in context to his mission. We do have an enemy. How many of y'all believe that? Now, here's the reality. Who has... <clears throat> now, I know I'm going to get some different things. It's going to be because how I'm going to frame this question. So I'm just going to... It's going to... Who has the upper hand? Nope. You didn't let me finish. <laughs> Who has the upper hand? The spirit realm or the natural realm? Okay. 
Okay, good job. So in the context of <clears throat> humanity and the fallenness of humanity and them being subjugated to a darkened understanding of divine things. Are y'all following me? Would, are we really any threat to the darkened, to the devil and all the fallen angels? Were we in Genesis, when, who? Until the fall and then all the rest of the proliferation of evil and we just kind of became sitting ducks, didn't we? In a, Y'all all believe that? Because the spirit realm has the upper hand. If I'm dealing with things that can walk through walls and I'm trying to use natural weapons against, see what I'm seeing? That's what Paul's saying is we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness and high play. Our weapons of warfare are not carnal. What he's saying is, see, the biblical narrative, they understood their worldview in the Old Testament context, and they weren't running around like a, a charismatic evangelist going, I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. I rebuke you, Jesus, you devil, in the name of Adonai. I mean, they weren't doing that. They were humbling themselves in the covenant that God had given them, that he was, and they knew he was greater they knew he was greater than any force out there. But they knew there were other forces out there. We don't know that. And we have believed some arrogant doctrine of, <clears throat> of power without lordship that does not produce or procure anything that faith promises. Because we don't understand what Christ has done for us in the spiritual realm because of our own mishandling of the unseen realm. When Christ died, all of the powers of darkness... The Bible says in Psalm 22, the strong bulls of Bashan, demonic forces. They knew he was the son of God. What were they doing? Absolutely. We got him. We got him. Circling around. They had used their influence in the culture through religion. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. They had used, those demonic forces had used that spirit of mammon in the Roman government. Beware the spirit. Beware the leaven of Herod. Had them all surrounded because Satan knew and all the forces knew that God had ultimate power. They were working within the context of their power in this unseen in this seen realm from the unseen realm and using humanity as mere puppets many times. The people in the New Testament knew where demons came from. They brought their children to Jesus and they had no qualms with saying, my child is vexed by a devil. And he didn't say, no, it's really just a psychological attack of anxiety. But here, take a Xanax and call me in the morning. He knew what it was. They knew what it was. He showed, he said, if I cast out Satan by Satan, then Satan's kingdom is divided. He said, but, here it is, it's a big but. We need some more big buts in the church. It's a big but. <clears throat> but, if I, I don't know what y'all are thinking right now. If I cast out Satan by the finger of God, then 
the kingdom of God has come upon you. We have a church culture that's trying to use religious structures of do's and don'ts and have and have not and trying to posture ourselves in cults of personality to obtain the things from the Spirit that God, I believe in His last days, is taking What's the word I want to use? He is taking ownership of his church. And he is going to uproot those systems from the root. I can just see a plant being yanked up and the whole root system being there. And the dirt and the debris hanging onto it. He is going to uproot every spirit of mammon in the church whereby the people who are called the house of God have tried to obtain spiritual Status, money, influence through the word of God. And he is bringing in what all creation is standing on his tiptoe, their tiptoes for. That is the manifestation of the sons and the daughters of God. Not profiteers who fill pulpits, who give the masses the junk food that they want on a Sunday morning, but people who know how to stand up in the spirit and the power of the Lord and say, thus saith the Lord, and allow the Holy Spirit to come in and wreck people. I don't want an environment where people have an easy time blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I want you to be so moved by the power of the voice of God that you crawl out of your pew and come to an altar and ask God to bring you into the kingdom of the dear son whom he loves. I got to go. Thanks, Siri. You wouldn't. She said, I'm not sure I understand. Because <laughs> you're not redeemable. You wouldn't get it. <laughs> I love it. Uh, thanks, metaverse. Mmm. Oh, God. We're going to be a church of significant influence, full of imagers who are significantly influential. We see in the Word of Faith movement that came in the 70s and the 80s, it was mishandled many times. Great revelation, mishandled so terribly that it became something that the world stood on and mocked it. It's blab it and grab it and name it and claim it. And it turned into a program set of formulas where you could get God to respond. You program God and he just like a huge Pez dispenser or a slot machine that you get cherry, cherry, cherry. And you know that you're rolling the dice with your spirituality saying, come on boxcars, come on six sister Hicks, baby need a new pair of shoes. You know, we've got this whole we got this whole gambling system in the house of God there is nothing like that this is not going to Choctaw Casino and trying to make it big this is being children of the most high God who know their God and are strong and do exploits oh I hope I'm ready oh God expose I'm sweating he wants us to know our enemy, but he wants us first to know who we are and to know who he is. And stop. That's the message today. I hear it. The Lord says, say it again. Stop blaspheming the Holy Spirit with your obstinate pride and your refusal to submit to his authority and his kingdom. He says, stop refusing to surrender your life and your heart and all that you have. He says, come to me and I will heal you and I will restore you and I will guide you in the paths of life. I will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies, saith the Lord. But you cannot obtain these things and maintain your own personal existence of your own ownership of your life. The night is far spent. Come out of darkness. Be made aware 
of divine things in the life I've called you to, says the Lord. Amen. I think we'll just end there. Thank y'all. Let's do this God's way. The power you seek is in the man of Christ. The experience you seek is in the man of Christ. The provision you seek is in the man of Christ. It's not some means to control the power and to reroute it to you for your own selfish endeavors. I feel that big in the house this morning. He's the original sinner. That's yeah. it. Okay. The original sinner. See, he is, he's been, the Bible says he's been a liar from the beginning. So, a.k.a. he's been a sinner from the beginning. From his, he wasn't formed with sin because God created him perfect, the Bible says. But he began because angels of free will right. do. They just are. We they just are. Yeah. But I'm not.